money up in prayers. Treading water that they drown. I head on a swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Smash Accept podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Dad FF. Guys, this is the last month before we actually, you know, that won't have football involved in it. I mean, it is super exciting. We got the Scott Fishbowl. We have an amazing guest today. Uh, and before I introduce both of you guys and get to our guests, I want to remind you guys about our sponsor, DraftKits.co. That's C-O, not com. They make the best draft boards out there. Right now, we're running a, a promotion with them. If you use the code SMASH, you get 10% off. I know John got his boards. Mung got his boards. I get all my draft boards from there. It is literally the swaggiest draft board you can get. You know, you put that up there on the wall. It's that last piece of the puzzle when you have that draft day. And it just it brings it all together. It makes it a lot more fun. John, how are you doing? And, you know, how are you? Are you getting all your leagues involved in DraftKits.co? I'm so happy. Because today I found my friends. Those are actually Nirvana lyrics. And I want to give a little shout out to Nirvana Division, Scott Fishbowl 11. And really, that's been the case, though, for me. I had to use those lyrics because it's been fantastic getting involved in the 108 group chat in the Nirvana Division. We got this awesome chat going throughout the draft. It's it, that to me is just the most fun aspect of Scott Fishbowl, bringing everybody together, having fun with it and making some new friends along the way. And for sure, I mean, you said it, Mike, that's what this particular draft season is going to be about for me because we couldn't get together last season. Right. So planning some, you know, big draft parties and you got to have a draft board for that, for sure. So, I mean, if nothing else, get in on that, get yourself a draft board, makes it a lot more fun little bit more engaging in the draft so anyway um maybe um we're gonna get a few tips here from the host tonight might make some live picks for uh, nirvana division here tonight there you go love it um mom john hit on it i mean this is the time of year we're, we're setting the adp for redraft you know and that's why we have our, our guest on tonight um talk to me a little bit about your scott fishbowl experience so far where you guys are at and anything you got that's exciting right now yeah, it's been great. Uh, I am in the Taylor Swift division, so I'm wearing my Taylor Swift shirt tonight, of course. Uh, shout out to them. And uh, it's been awesome. We've had a pretty solid draft. We're in the ninth round right now. Um, like every single other person right now, I'm sure I like my team so far until it's week one, you know. Uh, but I, I think that's the beauty of this preseason offseason time is everyone's optimistic. And right now, everybody's roster is perfect until it's not. Undefeated, but, uh, baby. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. So, uh, you know, it, it's crazy with the scoring, and ADP is wild because you can never trust any of the ADP. You know, plenty of good resources out there, but every division's so different that, you know, that's one of the things that makes Scott Fishbowl so challenging. I love it. And let me point out to the listeners, he did own that shirt before the draft. That one's not one of the ordered ones. <laughs> no, I love it, man. I love it. And also love our guests that we have coming on tonight. You know, I've been following him on Twitter for a while. Uh, fantasy analyst over at PFF, Andrew Erickson. Welcome to the show. Guys, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Scott Fishbowl's kicking off the fantasy football season. I'm, I'm already feeling, I'm feeling yeah. in my Twitter timeline. People are 
I'm, I'm engaging with people that I've never heard of ever before, because usually it's been me and every other fantasy analyst going back and forth, you know, flexing our best ball lineups at each other, like <laughs> from February and March and all this. <laughs> so it's just exciting that we're all getting back into it. We're going to have live drafts this year. We're going to have fans in the stands. It, we're going to have preseason games. Like, so we can actually not have the miles Gaskin thing happen to us. Where we're like, Oh sick. Like he's, a, he's a starting running back for the Dolphins. Like <laughs> awesome. Like that yes. would have been helpful to know if we had preseason games, we maybe could have had an inkling about this potential backfield. So a lot of great stuff coming up, a lot of good stuff over at PFF.com. So yeah, I'm excited. And, and it's perfect timing. We're going to, we're going to talk about, you know, your projections and, for Scott Fishbowl and the article you just did recently. And John and I have been referencing that quite a bit. Let's talk for first sure. about the, the experience of this. I mean, like, you know, John, you already alluded to, you know, you have your group chat, you know, and, and us three, we've been talking the whole time. And I mean, John, you know, this is your first one. You and I have called each other probably about 45 times already just to kind of debate up. it up, have some fun. Exactly. You got to have that guy, you, you know, you, you're calling. And Andrew, you said something else like, there's the Twitter timeline is just blown up with it. You're seeing people you didn't know. I followed, you know, 40, 50 new people in the last week. I don't know if you saw the guy who's like cutting up his kitchen counter with a chainsaw, you know, like we got all kinds of crazy videos. Wild. It's just, it's blown up into something absolutely remarkable. Um, Andrew, what division are you in? And like, you know, talk to me a little bit about the experience, a little more, more than just the timeline, but getting fully immersed into this thing. So I'm in the blink 182 division. So shout out to my, my punk rockers, Blink-182, they're still still putting out music, so it's a good thing. Uh, big fan of them. So, I mean, yeah, the division's definitely tough, though. There's a, a couple sharp Rotoviz guys in there. So, again, it's definitely not an easy division to be in. So, I've enjoyed the process so far. Again, when I picked, uh, I guess, I don't know if, I don't know if this is like popular or not, but so I took Darren Waller at the 103, and then that kind of caused some some ruckus a little bit. Travis Kelsey was still on the board, so I guess we can talk about that pick a little bit later on. But you know, the minute I made that pick, like someone else tweeted it out from the division, and everybody was talking about it, and like, oh, like Waller's the best, like so, just like stuff like that, just like gets you going about, like, yeah, like Waller's my guy, so that's why I picked him at 103. Whatever, could I have got him in the second round? Yeah, but not where I was picking. We know that my next pick wouldn't be until 210, so it's like, so, well, I got to take him at 103, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I love that. I mean, like, I, I've been trying to tweet out all my picks, and, you know, people are like, oh, I love that pick, or I hate that pick, or they're just kind of getting involved with it, you know, and we've been talking about it. We have two listener leagues, and we've been – a couple of our guys have had the, you know, the privilege of, of being in the league through one of our giveaways and through a couple other things that, that have been exciting, and those guys are like, hey, who, who are you guys picking? You know, like, we want to be involved with it, and it just – it builds the community. I'm in the Smashing Pumpkins division. You know, Gary Harrow, who won that two years ago, is in there. I got to give a shout out to at star of Amber. She has taken my pick like every single round, you know, there John and I were talking like rounds five through nine is nothing but sniping, right? Like they're all bunched together. There's so many great values in there. And she has literally, I've, I've, I've called John and I'm like, I'm on the clock the, next. This is the guy I'm taking. And she does it every time. So I'm starting to think that John's in cahoots here. He's like giving her calls and kind of get setting it up here. But it's cool just seeing all these people interact in your own group chats. Uh, John, are you really giving her all my answers? No, no. Um, I, and I, I got to tell you, I mean, I think everybody's getting sniped because these are just shark infested waters. It's it's brutal to, to just watch the top of your board consistently get taken off. So I, I feel you on that one, Mike. Yeah. And so Let's talk a little bit about, I, I saw one of the things that in your article was talking about the Scott Fishbowl scoring, right? We all have our redraft leagues and they're just so, 
rigid sometimes, right? Like they, the commissioner doesn't want to change from one quarterback to super flex. You know, I, I was in one where we were only able to convert to, to PPR two years ago because they were like, no, that's futuristic. You know, like you got these leagues in redraft and, I mean, we're degenerates on Dynasty Twitter, right? Like, we're coming out with the craziest things. And I started explaining some of this scoring to some of my work league guys, and they're like, this, this is just absurd. Like, I don't understand why you want to do this, you know? I mean, you got six-point passing touchdowns. That's great. Negative four interceptions. So you got guys like Jameis Winston, who two years ago, his stat line looked like 38 points, 22 points, negative nine. You know, you got some weeks like that because of that. You got – um point what do we have negative two on an extra negative two for interceptions for touchdowns you got negative one for the sack i mean so many different things involved in here and then the tight end scoring's through the roof uh andrew talk to me a little bit about like i, I know part of your your article was like hey let's get involved in some different kind of scoring right like let's challenge our league mates let's let's try to think outside the box a little bit and incorporate some things so you know talk to me a little bit about that yeah because i think right now the standard league of, of fantasy scoring and the way that rosters are set up, it, it doesn't really benefit people that invest the most time into it. Again, especially when you have, it's like two running backs starting three receivers, one tight end defense kick. Like I think the first thing is just adding in more flex positions because it's not like the, I think we can all agree. The worst part about fantasy football is when you have a guy on the bench that goes off that you can't play. Like some people just have totally. good teams and you just can't start them all because you don't have enough starting spots. Like that should never be an issue. Like you should have, you should want to be able to play all of your guys. Like that's why it's fun. You get more people to score points for your fantasy team. Scoring fantasy points is fun and it's part of the game. So that's the first thing about Scott Fishbowl, how there's so many flex spots, how your starting lineup is absolutely massive. Like that's the one thing to do. Just add more flexes. Just like every year be like, Hey, let's add another flex. Like just do it. It, it, it makes more players available to play with. You have to make better decisions. So again, it's going down to deciding not between oh my wide receiver three spot now it's oh it's my wide receiver five spot because my you know top four guys are all locked and loaded like those are the guys are good and then you can really get into the nitty gritty with some of this research and that's what makes it fun. So and then the other part too with the Scott Fishbowl is just focusing on the balancing act. That's the whole point of the different scoring formats with the quarterbacks. You know the 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 days I think in my article I actually referenced Blake Bortles. It's like the days of like the Blake Bortles like garbage time runs where he's like throwing four picks by halftime and you're like don't worry garbage time's coming like he's gonna he's gonna dig himself out of this hole like you don't dig yourself out of that hole in scott fishbowl scoring like he is sunk you, you don't come back from minus 20 points due to interceptions like it's not coming back so it rewards good quarterback play in real life which i think helps some of the other players for example like a dark car player real life good quarterback the last two seasons he's been really underrated but he doesn't rush and he's not this flashy player, so he doesn't really score that many fantasy points in a regular fantasy league, but he's actually really good with the football, doesn't turn it over, and this league rewards players like that. And then the last thing is like with the tight end is the fact that the position just sucks in general, and this type of scoring helps them now, okay, who am I going to play this tight end, or we're going to play this wide receiver? These tight ends score more points, but they see less tar targets, so now it's actually becoming a debate where it's like, you know, I've, I've heard leagues where they're just throwing out tight end all together, and it's like, no, I want the challenge. Like, we should just get rid of players because it's hard. Like that's dumb. Like we should find another way to incorporate them into the game. So it's fun for everybody to play. And then the kickers thing, you know, if you like, I, I like how you can play kickers and flex. It's like, if you hate kickers, then ignore them. You don't have to use them. But if people want to do the research, they can play kickers if they want to. So the freedom and the flexibility of doing so many different things with your lineup, I think is just, is it makes it way more fun. 
Yeah, and I, I was talking about that. John Bosch is in my division, um, guy that's been you know a friend of the show, and he's you know talked a lot with Scott, and he's he obviously sets up all the fantasy eliminators and and talk with Ryan and the idea of it all. And and I try to run my leagues like this now too. Is that you have the options to do what you want with your league, right? You want you can draft the way you want. You know, you have as many flexible flexible moves. You know, we have one quarterback, one wide receiver, one tight end. You know, and then do what you want with the rest of the flex, you know, and try to make things as even scoring as possible as, as much diversity as possible. Um, Mung, are you incorporating any of these things into your new leagues or is that like something I, I'm trying hard in mine? You know, like I, I, I only do one redraft. I've been in it for like 20 years. So to reference your blink, what do you do? Don't ask what's my age again. They all make fun of me for it, but literally, you know, it's like pulling teeth into your redraft league sometimes to try to get that move in Mung. Yeah, and honestly, I don't pick up that many new leagues. Uh, I'm constantly getting invites to new dynasty leagues, and I, I do one or two here or there. Uh, but really, like, I'm not one of those people who can manage 40, 50 dynasty leagues. I, at that point, well, I, actually, let me say I probably could if I really wanted to, but I just don't think it'd be fun at that point for me. Um, you know, kudos to the guys out there who are doing that, but. I'm pretty fine with vanilla scoring because we do get the Scott Fishbowl and I have one or two leagues that are, you know, points per carry and tight end premium and all those things. Um, but, you know, I, I think just play however you want, right? Like fantasy is all about fun and whatever league scoring there is or however many people, like I see people bash others on Twitter like, oh, this is an 18 league. You've got all these studs. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, the challenge is then really being able to set those lineups every week, right? Every single format has its challenges, has its pros and cons. So um, it's about finding, you know, those gaps in value between a normal scoring format and, you know, crazier formats like Scott Fishbowl. Let's talk a little bit about the, this first round, right? The first round was crazy. There was a lot of guys bouncing around and things. Andrew, what pick number did you have? And talk to me a little bit about your philosophy on, on this particular tournament, you know, like how did you want to join? How did you want to get that first pick? Obviously with the third round role reversal or round reversal, we had some not role reversals round reversals. We could kind of, there was a lot more strategy into the whole thing. Yeah. So I had the one Oh three, so I was picking one Oh three two ten, And then with the reversals three ten. So my strategy was I wanted to come out of the first three rounds with a quarterback a running back and tight end. I really nice. Basically when I looked at the, the scoring settings and this is kind of part of the projections article, that's up on PFF.com. It just found like the tight ends, like the way that the projections had them set up is like Travis Kelsey was outscoring McCaffrey and Darren Waller was outscoring Dalvin cook. And, and, and that sounds like insane to, to like, to, but like the projections again are also like an, a median outcome. It's not, oh, we're taking a stand on a player in the projections. Like, that's not the point of them. It's supposed to give you just an idea, a general range of where this player will finish based on what they did last year, based on, you know, a, a projection, essentially. And just to see that really opened my eyes, like, oh, my God. Like, and the fact of the matter is there's only, like, two or three guys that exist in fantasy football that have that capability, and Waller is one of them. You know, he's a bona fide wide receiver playing tight end. Essentially, he plays a lot on the outside, and, you know, his target share was the highest of any tight end last year, fourth overall, 27%. So for me, it was like, look, again, Waller versus Kelsey. I get the debate. I am have Kelsey ranked higher in my regular rankings. But for doing this run in a simulation 100 times, you know, Kelsey finishes, you know, ahead of Waller 55 out of 100 and Waller finishes the 45. And then what I also thought about, too, was I 
you know, this is a strategy you use in DFS is stacking. So you can't stack Travis Kelsey and Scott Fishbowl with Mahomes. It's impossible. You, it's not the same way with Darren Waller. Like you can stack him with the, you can stack the Raiders offense. So if this Raiders offense is cooking and it should, you know, if, if I'm going to win this, it's because of Darren Waller, my first pick. So if he's cooking and he's just ruining fantasy football for me and just dominating Derek Carr is probably going to be along for the ride. <laughs> so having that combination was really important to me. And now I can pick up other Raiders along the way. Cause Raiders are cheap. Like I can pick up Kenyon Drake. I can pick up rugs, Edwards, Agu- or uh, John Brown, like a bunch of these cheap Raiders guys. I can just add to this stack of Raiders players. Whereas every, I'm pretty sure every chiefs player is like already drafted at this point. <laughs> like, like it seems like, you know, Nicole Harbin's going to be hanging out there. And then a couple of these other stragglers, but Every Chiefs player is probably already on a roster, and most of them probably don't have Mahomes as well. So you probably see some Mahomes kill, uh, some Mahomes Hill lineups. But besides that, like I don't think I, I don't know. I haven't checked. I, I can't imagine there's a Mahomes Kelsey lineup. Maybe there is, but I mean, and good kudos to that person for being able to pull it off. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what division they're in, but yeah, that was kind of my mindset behind it. Uh, at least in the first round, going with Waller, and you know. Got to do it for the clout a little bit too. You know, people are oh my god, yeah. Waller at one hundred three, like oh, so seven one. I love that because I got Carr at 608. Carr was a guy that I was targeting yeah. as my QB2 basically the entire time because in a standard league, you know, in a standard Superflex league, Derek Carr gets pushed way back. But in this, you know, being a lot more accurate and a guy that, you know, doesn't take as many sacks is a guy that has a lot of upside. And he was going, I mean, I got him at, at QB22. And I was thrilled with that because that's the kind of value where that's someone who, you know, you can you can play around with. And, John, I know you and I were looking at a lot of this where – and it feels like all the drafts, it was just weight on wide receiver, right? It was, it was smash some of those guys early. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your philosophy here. I mean, you and I both had had eight. Mung had the nine pick. Talk to me a little bit about your thought process. Yeah, and, and we talked a little bit about with this with Dave Richard last week too. And it really felt like this was going to happen. And so for, for those that were listening in, you heard that. And that is exactly what's happening. It's wide receivers are getting pushed down the board. The scoring system definitely favors the QBs, the running backs, and to Andrew's point, those top tier tight ends. And that's exactly what we saw. On average, most of Scott Fishbowl did not see any wide receivers drafted in the first two rounds, in some cases, well into the third round, even into the fourth. Now, what's happening in mine, and this is kind of wild to watch, everybody's waiting on wide receivers, but then boom, it kicks in. And all this value at QB and running back is just dry. And so wide receivers have been going wild so we went from like zero to 60 in seconds and all of a sudden you look down and all the wide receivers are gone we're joking about it in the Nevada division so i did i think what you call hero wide receiver i actually took tyreek hill at the 308 i'm just looking at this like okay that's that's crazy i'm gonna, I'm gonna take him there and i was glad i did because i got ahead of the first wide receiver run i get a high ceiling guy and what I ended up trying to do in terms of my overall philosophy, and it sounds like, Andy, you came in similar philosophy. I tried to go in balanced. Scott Fish has like done a really nice job, to Andrew's earlier point, of balancing all the player positions. And so they're all kind of equally important in this format. And so actually my first four picks were actually running back with Dalvin Cook, paired him up with Tannehill at QB. Then I got Tyreek. And then I came around and got Kyle Pitts. Um, kind of later in the fourth, which I was pretty happy he fell that far. So that's kind of how I started off in my philosophy. Then, because I've kind of set that up that way, I'm really flexible 
going for high ceiling, big upside players from there on. And so that's kind of how I've been approaching it since then. I'm glad you mentioned Kyle Pitts because another article I saw you do recently, Andrew, was you know how high should we be drafting Kyle Pitts in redraft, right? If you don't say Kyle Pitts is the greatest tight end ever on Twitter, you're going to get roasted. Like you're going to get bashed. You know where should we be taking him? You know in this particular format, or you know as far as our, our redraft listeners, you know I feel like I saw I saw one guy said he took he he got Kelsey at 112 and he took Pitts at 201 in this Scott Fish. You know now his his handle is at dynasty pitsian so i mean it's on brand but like how early dave richard which is if you guys haven't you know over at cbs he was on our pod last week fantastic episode if you guys haven't listened to it but he's saying you know basically we're looking at a wide receiver you know he value him as a wide receiver in your article talk to us a little bit about what you were finding so i agree with dave's you know that opinion that take about Kyle Pitts and how he is, he's built like a wide receiver, but until we get any type of concrete information that clearly states that Kyle Pitts is going to be playing on the outside. Like he's not like they, they have not told us that yet. He's was called a tight end at the draft. Like, so, and he played in line at Florida. So it's not like he was playing at X all the time in Florida. It would make a lot of sense, you know, for us to see him play into that Julio Jones role, be on the outside. But at the same time, if you're asking a rookie tight end to play, okay, you got to play inline, you got to play X, and you got to play slot, and you got to block. Like, that's the issue why we run into these rookie tight end problems because they have to learn. How, that's a lot to throw at what? He's 20 years old. Like, a lot to throw at a 20 year old to making an NFL debut. It's like, oh, yeah, you just got to step in. You got to fill in for Julio Jones, who just happens to, you know, uh, you know, rank number one in the NFL in yards per game. Like, that's all you have to do is just kind of step in and, and take on that role. So for me, he's going too high. In redraft leagues, again, in, in this format, I think it's fine because the upside is obviously there. So I understand that he's going ahead. But for me, I'm just I'm taking Hawkinson. I'm taking Mark Andrews. Like why? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like those guys are on the trajectory of tight ends that break out. And again, Kyle Pitts could have the greatest rookie season for a tight end and still not outscore Hawkinson or Mark Andrews. And I can get them two rounds later. So for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to buy into Kyle Pitts because there's no value there. You're buying him at a ceiling and this is, you know, fantasy football is a game. And if you're telling me that this player is at his ceiling, there's nowhere there's room for them to grow. Hawkinson can grow. Hawkinson is going to see more targets this year than he did last year. He was tight end four last year. He didn't even lead his team in targets. Mark Andrews, his expected fantasy points were game were the same last year, but he just ran cold when it came to touchdowns. He's attached to Lamar Jackson. Like I'd rather have him throwing the ball to Mark Andrews than Matt Ryan throwing to Kyle Pitts. Like that's the way that I look at these two offenses. So for me, I'm not going to have a lot of Kyle Pitts. I got my Kyle Pitts exposure in best ball leagues when he was going in the eighth, ninth round before the draft. And that's I'm happy with that because that's where the upside was and that was where the value was. But I can't see taking him over Mark Andrews, over TJ Hawkinson, because those guys are locked into lead their – they can lead their team in targets. Like Hawkinson, I think, is a lock for that. And Mark Andrews, I mean, he's done it the last two seasons. He's led in teams in target share the past two years. So in my research, I found that tight ends that lead their team in targets are almost a lock. I think it was like 86% finishes top five tight ends. And then, you know, 55% finishes top three tight ends. So look, you can say everything you want about Kyle Pitts. What we can all agree on. He's not out targeting Calvin Ridley. It's not happening. Like unless Calvin Ridley gets hurt. So that's the thing for me. It's like, he's still the number two. He's not the number one. And that's an issue for me where Hawkinson and Andrews are number ones on their team. So that's kind of the difference for me. 
I totally agree with you. And the one thing that you said there that sticks out, and we talk, I mean, we are a dynasty trade, you know, podcast. We talk about a lot when when you're drafting, you're drafting for value. And Kyle Pitts has worked his way out of a value. The only draft I got him in was the day after the NFL draft. I got him at 107, and and that was in tight end premium. I couldn't touch him anywhere else because he was going you know, above some of these great quarterbacks in this class, above some of these, you know, big time players. And, and that kind of made it a, a tough, tough sailing there. Um, Mung, talk to me a little bit, you know, about your philosophy. You were at that 109. You know, I know there was definitely some of that round reversal that was in the back of your mind as well. Yeah. And in fantasy, we talk about range of outcomes, right? So we see a projected floor and ceiling for different players. And that kind of dictates where we want to take them. And for me, it was all about, you know, looking at that first turn and then seeing who is going to be there, who's left, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, and then, you know, who would I be really, really pissed off if they got taken before it came back to me at 204? If I was um, in your division, I'd take Trey Lance at 203. Just to <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, so for me, it kept coming back to there are a bunch of elite running backs like Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, who could be there at 204, um, or one of Waller or Kittle. And for me, the guy that I didn't think anyone was going to take in that turn, but I really, really wanted to make sure I got was Tom Brady. And I know that Sigmund Bloom over at Football Guys, he talks a lot about you know creating this narrative for players heading into the season, right? And for me, you know, I looked at the Scott Fishbowl scoring for last year, and Brady was, I believe, the number eight quarterback. Um, and that was with Tampa Bay really starting slow, right? No preseason, offseason to really get into the groove with that new Bruce Arians scheme. And that included that blowout loss to, uh, to New Orleans, where the entire Buccaneers offense was just awful. And so to me, I could see a ceiling where with a 17th game, you know, that narrative of Tom Brady just always wanting to be the best and wanting to break records. And I could see a scenario where this Tampa Bay offense is the absolute best in the league. Um, the three offenses I've been targeting all offseason are obviously Kansas City um, and then Tampa Bay. And then, of course, you know my love for San Francisco. Um, even though they're still run heavy, I just see a jump forward in efficiency if and when Trey Lance enters that starting job. So for me, I wanted... Brady is my number one quarterback, so I took him at 109, and I was lucky enough to grab Kittle at 2.04, and really that was you know an ideal start to the draft in my eyes. Yeah, and referencing again to Dave Richard, we were both saying we were going to double tap the the running backs, you know. In my my spot, I was at 108, and I'm in my head I was like I'm taking Saquon Barkley, like I feel like Saquon, and I I know Andrew, you have him as your you know when it comes to one quarterback leagues as your third highest ranked player in ranks. And I was like, I want to get Saquon because I feel like we forget how great he can be when he's healthy. And then Kyler Murray fell all the way to me. You know, like we, he just, he's gone as early as 102 in a lot of drafts. I got him at 108 and I was like, I wanted to get one of them big five quarterbacks. And then, you know, I, I thought there's no chance they would get there, you know, and then someone took Derrick Henry in the first round and someone took Dalvin Cook right in front of him. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get a chance here. And then I went and I, I double tapped the running backs. And I want to talk a little bit about that second round here, guys, if we can. Um, you know, I ended up taking Jonathan Taylor in the second and then Austin Eckler in the third. But these running backs in that second, third round, I mean, you're looking at Kamara and Barkley's in there, Zeke, you know, Gibson, Aaron Jones. Let's talk to our listeners a little bit about some of these guys this year. Like, Andrew, 
how do you have that round? You know, like as far as your running backs this year, who's that guy you are absolutely trying to get? And and who's the some of those sleeper type players where it's like that's a running back that I need to make sure I put in there because we're all about getting those running backs early, right? We want to get that as much, especially with the wide receivers. You know, I went quarterback, two running backs, and then I got six straight wide receivers because I was like the values just kept falling. Yeah, I think for me, when I, so kind of when I was like premeditating my draft, it's like, all right, I'm going to go Darren Wall at three. I'm going to sh- shock the world. People are, Twitter's going to blow up on fire. <laughs> so then I was like, all right, I'm going to follow up with a running back. Just kind of, I looked at my ranking. I actually kind of, I referenced my Superflex rankings to kind of give me an idea of like, all right, who can I kind of expect or who would I like to actually pick here just based on my own rankings, you know, with some of these tight ends obviously getting go- going there as well. Cause I, I didn't expect, I expected like the big three tight ends to go by the time I picked that 210 which turned out to be true. So yeah, Kittle, Kelsey, and, and Waller all went when I was when I ended up at 210. So when I was there, I was like, before the, the draft, I was thinking about either Joe Mixon or Najee Harris were the two guys I was really looking at because those guys are it's like it's just a workload. Like I get that we love these running backs that are like super efficient, but it literally doesn't it doesn't matter like to a certain extent because the volume is king like we we say it all the time but and then again make exceptions for certain players here and there but at the same time this is what results in fantasy points like that's why christian mccaffrey was friggin' unstoppable in 2019 because he was literally getting the volume of two players in one player so it didn't matter how and he happened to be efficient with his touches as well so it all ended up working out for him in the long run so i was really looking at trying to lock up a workhorse running back and what ultimately ended up happening was actually Eckler actually fell to me. So Eckler is obviously one of the players that doesn't necessarily profile as, oh, this crazy touch workload guy. But again, he gets the involvement in the passing game. I feel really confident about his role as a pass catcher in that offense with the Chargers. I mean, he was on a hundred game pace for uh, receptions with Justin Herbert last year. So, and that was in a 16 game season. So it's not out of the range of outcomes that Austin Eckler catches over a hundred passes. And that's going to put him into like the McCaffrey tiered of players. And, look at the other running backs on that team. It's like, okay, like Larry Roundtree, is he going to like work in the goal line? Maybe like uh, you're talking about Joshua Kelly being on the, on the roster bubble. Talking about Justin Jackson being on the roster bubble. Clearly they're not enamored by any of these guys. So yes, Roundtree, could he, could he uh, work into the goal line back? Sure. It's possible, but goal line backs are kind of overrated at some points. Like, okay, the, he scores there. Justin Herbert sneaks one in, whatever. I just think that echoes in a really good spot, but for those touch monster guys like Mixon, like a Najee Harris, I don't care about the offensive lines. I don't care about, oh, well, you no, know, their yards per carry is this. Like, it, it doesn't matter to me because I saw David Montgomery last year be not efficient and get 300 touches and be the RB4 overall. So, so, so that's the thing with me. It's like, just don't fade away from this. Like, don't create a narrative in your head where, oh, well, he's not like super efficient or think of other, like, the story has been kind of told with these two running backs, at least that I can see from this offseason, is that they're going to get over 300 touches. And historically speaking, when that happens to a running back, they finish as top five running backs. So those are some of the guys, especially like in the second round of like redraft leagues, I really want to get, especially if I compare them with another stud running back in the first round. Yeah, and, and volume is king, you know. And I, I think when I got to my spot in the second round, I was debating between Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler. You know, I love Taylor. And sometimes I try to separate myself from – you know, talking dynasty all the time because Jonathan Taylor's right up there. And I was like, oh, man, I love Eckler. And then is there a better feeling when you're in your draft, when you debate between two guys and then the guy comes back to you? Like it's literally, 
I don't know what it is. I just get I get so excited about it. Uh, and I saw you have Eckler as your RB eight, and, and Taylor as your RB seven, and both those guys are due for you know some serious serious workload. Uh, John, talk to me a little bit about the running backs you were able to nail because I think you got you got a couple yeah. early, and then you got one that I, I we've been talking about for several rounds, yeah. round five on that we we both really wanted to get. Yeah, that exact same feeling I got to experience. <clears throat> With Mike Davis, actually, I started thinking about Mike Davis actually as my running back three in the fifth. And even the ADP was kind of lining up that way, too. But at the time, um, I actually went ahead with Miles Sanders. And I, I do like his upside. Again, that's a lot of times what we're going for. So I picked him up in the fifth. Then I was eyeing Mike Davis again. Decided to pass him in the sixth, but he was still there in the seventh. In fact, one of the, the lowest... I've seen him drop in across most of the divisions in the ADP. So I was pumped to get Mike Davis in the seventh. But, I mean, that's sneaky value for a clear starter and a top offense. I think that he's actually built to, to carry the load. You look at who he's competing with, and to Andrew's point, I mean, I think the volume actually could be there for him. I think he's going to get the red zone. I think he's going to get uh, thrown, thrown the ball to as well out of the backfield some. So – yeah, I mean, and I think I'm with you, Mike. I mean, I think you really have always got to have a solid stable of running backs. And so when these wide receiver runs started, I was still hitting the running back position pretty hard because these are some solid value. So for those that are still drafted and then Scott Fishbowl, that's a that's a substantial value right there if you could possibly get in on that. Yeah, and I think and Mung and, and Andrew, I'll let you guys talk on this a little bit. But sometimes you get into a round and you got to look at that running back cliff, right? The positional scarcity there where I got to that fourth round and I ended up taking Michael Thomas. Totally. But I, I debated some of these running backs because it falls off fast and furious. Like it, it just drops off where the wide receivers, you know, you keep getting more and more available players where you're like, OK, this guy can, can yeah. plug into my lineup a lot easier. Um you know, Miles Sanders is close to that area where that was one of the guys I was debating. But do you guys see that as well, where that that positional deficiency really comes into play, where you try to get those guys early? Yeah, Mike, I was going to jump in, and I'll hand it back over to these guys. Actually, uh, a tip that that has really helped me a ton in Scott Fishbowl is I got my projections going. In fact, Andrew was using yours too, and a couple other analysts kind of finalized my overall scoring projections. And then I did go position by position, Mike, and broke them into tiers. And when you see big teardrops and, and drops in scoring, and then you, you kind of have to eye how many of those potentially on average at each position are going to go in a given round, you can pretty much size it up. And so getting ahead of those cliffs is huge. And it allowed me to stay ahead of some of the runs. And sure enough, after I took Tyreek Hill and, and Kyle Pitts in this case, big drops at each of those positions. And then getting Mike Davis another big teardrop after that. So that's that's one tip I'd throw out there that's been tremendously helpful. But Andrew, what, what what's your approach on that type of thing with tiering and and uh, drops and, and things of that nature? I think that makes a lot of sense. In any type of draft that you do, is that's how you find value. That's how you know that right. Kyle Pitts isn't a value because when you look at the projections, he is you know the rain his projections are the same as Mark Andrews and T.J. Hawkinson. Right. So. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize, okay, so if they're break. all going to yeah. probably score around the same amount of points, but these guys go in the sixth round and this guy goes in the fourth round, it's not yeah. too hard. And obviously, mm -hmm. 
rankings differ because it's not obviously factoring in. Okay, Kyle Pitts, he probably has a higher ceiling than those other two guys. I don't, I don't think that that's an inaccurate take. But at the same time, like you have to still evaluate a player's floor and and their actual realistic outcome, not necessarily oh well their 90th, 99th percentile outcome. Like he's going to be god. Like of course, like that's always going to be something that someone can can say. But again not to go back to the Kyle Pets thing, but in terms of the, the running back. So for me, I, I guess I'm kind of following a, a zero RB. I mean, I guess it's modified zero RB because I took Austin Eckler, but I haven't taken another running back since then. And I was really strongly considering Josh Jacobs at the five ten and at the six Oh three, because I knew I was building around Raiders, but at the same time, I liked a lot of the receivers on the board still. So Chris Godwin was the guy I took at five ten because I, was like, you know what? I, I really don't like these running backs in this, this range necessarily. Again, this is kind of that that running back dead zone, basically, that a lot of it's been kind of going on the, the conversation. And basically, these running backs just have – there's a reason they're falling in drafts is because they do have, like, workload issues. Like, they have concerns about them, which is the reason why they're not these locked – because if they weren't, then they would be going in the first and second round. Like, that's the reason why they're falling. And so Jacobs, obviously, Kenyon Drake is there. And I was really thinking to myself, like, I think I'm going to like my team more with – a locked and loaded wide receiver and Kenyon Drake than taking Josh Jacobs here and then getting a receiver where I would draft Kenyon Drake instead. So that's the strategy I took with it. And then Jacobs ended up going somewhere in the sixth round. So it's not like Jacobs was, I wasn't reaching on him. So it, the value was there. I thought, but I went five ten. I went Godwin. And then at the six Oh three, I took Derek Carr to add my second quarterback. Cause I already taken Matt Ryan and I had taken Calvin Ridley as well. So I'd already built some stacks up with two of my top pass catchers. So I was excited about that. And yeah, ultimately was like, you know what? Honestly, Kenyon Drake might be a better pairing to stack with Derek Carr anyway, because I think that he'll probably be more involved in the passing game. I think that's the way that they, that offense might operate and that's better for Derek Carr. So that's the way I was kind of thinking about it. And look, I actually looked a lot and I'm looking ahead at the ADP as well to kind of see, all right, if I'm kind of going with this zero RB approach, who am I looking at? And I, and I see that the pocket of running backs, the exact ones that I want to target the Zach Mosses, the AJ Dillons, the James Connors, like I see that exact pocket and I, I can know I can hit that pocket of running backs that are the high upside backup running that on paper, it doesn't really look like, okay, like we don't know what the role is going to be, but we know that they have some upside. And, and someone had mentioned this as well, that the Scott Fishbowl, Scott Fishbowl waivers last year, there were like no wide receivers you could ever pick up that were actually starters right. except for Travis Fulgham. Like he was the one guy that served a purpose at any point during the season last year. You could pick him up and he was only for like three or four weeks. <laughs> but besides him, you couldn't find anyone. Whereas running back, James Robinson, like boom, like someone literally got an RB1 after week, like first waiver run, they got an RB1. So that's why I'm, I'm going more heavier on receivers. You know, we still have a lot of time till the season kicks off. So the running backs that I'm taking, these late round running backs, their potential to accrue in value because you know, ex running back Josh Jacobs. Oh, he tweaks his hammy. Oh, wow. Kenyon Drake's the starting running back for the Las Vegas Raiders. And I have him. And I got him in the ninth round. So that's kind of the way that I've been looking at it. And I'm going to probably continue to approach the draft, kind of leaving running back a little bit later on with Eckler being my RB1 locked and loaded. Yeah, that's a smart approach. You know, last year when we did yeah. this, we had all, um, we, we went over several different drafts and we went, Mike Beers was one of them. I, I interviewed him and talked to him over at Rotoviz. And he didn't take a running back until round 12 and then he took eight in a row you know and he just pounded those guys where like you said the zach moss the kenjin drake and and those guys that are coming up here um that 
have some high upside, you know, like a guy like Mung and I talk a lot about Gus Edwards, you know, some of these guys where they have standalone value. You can plug them in as your flex. But if we get an injury here, you know, I mean, if Josh Jacobs goes down, your Kenyon Drake pick in the ninth looks so much better than Josh Jacobs in the fifth. And that's how you win a tournament like this, because you got to separate yourself. You got to find those values. Um, Mung, who are some of those running back values that you've been able to find in, in your current draft or, you know, that you've been seeing on Twitter? Yeah, and I think uh, John and Andrew kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of looking at those teardrops, right? Because there's a lot of good data out there specifically targeted for Scott Fishbowl as well. Um, but it's kind of navigating through that. And I think a lot of people kind of drew a, a slightly incorrect conclusion that you know running backs are just so much more important than wide receivers in this format because you have to look at kind of where the drop-off is. And really, some of those top 10, 15 wide receivers outscored a lot of the top running backs last year. Um, so the reason I took the 109 spot and I chose that spot is because with the third round reversal, I really wanted to come out of the top four or five rounds um, without, you know, no, no exact order, but with two strong quarterbacks, um, potentially an elite tight end or uh, an elite tight end and a running back or two elite running backs. And then at 504, you know, I figured there was still a lot of good uh, value left at that point. And I actually, you know, I grabbed Nick Chubb, um, one, because the half PPR and two, the first downs. And, you know, again, going back to narratives, we can see a story where Cleveland's a Super Bowl contender this year, right? They have a top five defense. They have the best offense in the league, maybe the best pure runner in the league. So in this format, you know, I think he could be a potential league winner. Um, but other running backs that I considered there, I actually got sniped on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, I think he's going to have a big bounce back here after disappointing a little bit as a rookie. Uh, and then, you know, the guy that I took at 504 was Keenan Allen, who I think is being underrated a little bit here. Uh, prior to his injury last season, actually, and uh, I got some sirens going on yep. back here. Don't worry. But, Sometimes uh, Mung's takes are so hot, they got to get, you know. <laughs> you committed robbery of Keenan Allen. Yeah, well, I mean, I was looking at last year, and, you know, he was scoring in that DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs range before he got hurt. And yet, you know, he's dropping to the fifth. The only, the only non-quarterbacks uh, who outscored him last year were Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, uh, James Robinson, pour one out. Um, and then, you know, the elite tight ends, Waller and Kelsey. And so this is what I'm talking about in terms of, yes, we want those elite running backs, particularly in this format, but the drop off of running back is so big after the top, I want to say 15 or so. Um, and at that point, the top 15 or 20 wide receivers are so much better than, you know, running back 22, running back 23. No offense, John, like those Mike Davises who I, I'm just not quite sure we can rely on for an entire season just yet. I, I, I totally agree with you, you know, like getting those running backs early and then the wide receivers have created value. You and I talked about Keenan Allen and I was able to get, like I said, I got five straight wide receivers in my last. I got Michael Thomas. I went Keenan Allen, uh, Adam Thielen, Odell Beckham. And then and I know a guy that's really flying under the radar is Brandon Cooks. You know, there's a lot of, I'm trying to get guys that are high volume type wide receivers instead of some of these, you know, lower upside, uh, upside running backs. Andrew, who are some wide receivers you've definitely targeted in that area? And any of those guys that, you know, really are getting undervalued? 
So I think my, Michael Thomas is one of the guys. I think that his stock, I mean, he was just the no doubt number one guy. Everyone didn't matter. He's first round pick. And then he just, it just, that last year was just a disaster for him. You know, he got hurt. Drew Brees wasn't the same, but in the small stretch of games we had with him getting Taysom Hill, it was really the same Michael Thomas. You know, his average yards per route run were up worth his career average. He just didn't score any touchdowns, but his target share was also really high. And that offense still has not added any pass catchers whatsoever. Again, Kamara's still there, but, you know, Michael Thomas, I mean, if, there's a, it's not like out of the range of outcomes where Jameis Winston is better for Michael Thomas potentially because he can throw the ball downfield. Like, that's like, that matters. Like, we saw Jameis Winston put up sick, sick numbers, 5,000 passing yards, and support two wide receiver ones. I mean, he was behind the Chris Godwin breakout. Like, it was friggin' Jameis Winston. And I think Michael Thomas has fallen to where he's a super great value in, in the third round of any type of redraft. I mean, in, in this format as well, like he went in, I mean, he think he went like a little bit before Keenan Allen or he actually went right out. He went four ten in my division right before Keenan Allen who went at four eleven. So those are two players that I think that are, and then, uh, and the other guys, Terry McLaurin. So he went at five Oh three and look, everything that I've researched with McLaurin just screams that this guy is going to just friggin' melt faces next year. <laughs> like I, it's really hard for me to, again, in like the scenario where it's like, okay, like Fitzpatrick's there, like he's like an upgrade at quarterback that added some more competition. So there just still isn't enough buzz around McLaurin. And every time I see him in my rankings, I'm like, I got to move him higher. Like I have to move him higher up. And I like, that's where I, I see him. And I saw him go at five Oh three. And I was like, damn, like, that's sick value that that guy got terrible chlorine. It was of course it was Curtis Patrick from Roto Viz that got him. I was oh, like, man. shit, yeah. like, <laughs> like that's a really good pick. Like, oh man, that, that's, that's too good. And, and one of the things I, and with, and the reason I'm kind of so high on McLaurin, like a lot of other people, but one thing I looked at when I was trying to project Calvin Ridley before last year, you know, Calvin Ridley was a lot of people were hyped up about Calvin Ridley. He's like, Oh, he's going to be this year's Chris Godwin, whatever. And he delivered on that. And the thing that I found in common with those players was, their usage of yards after the catch per reception and their average depth of target. So basically who are the receivers that are getting it done in both ways? Like I'm not talking about, okay, just Debo, like Debo Samuel, he's, he's all yak or a player that's all a dot, like a Marquez Valdez Cantling. Like I want to see a player that's like the whole package. So a player that's basically ranked top 12 at some point in their career as a yak receiver and an average depth of target receiver. And Chris Godwin checked off that box. Calvin Ridley checked off that box and Terry McLaurin checks off that box. So that's like one of the real statistical threshold that I have seen that has led to these breakouts because these players win all over the field and it doesn't matter who's throwing them the ball. They'll make plays after the catch. Like they always are going to find a way to win. So Terry McLaurin is just, he's one of the players that when people like randomly ask me like, who should I draft dude? Oh, Terry McLaurin, like whatever. If you draft them too early, it probably will work out with you. It'll probably work out for you in the in the in the end yes. anyway. <laughs> yeah, and, and nice. you have like you have him up there with Michael Thomas and Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson and CD Lamb in your rankings, and I feel like that's definitely where he belongs. And in Dynasty, it's taken people way too long to figure out what kind of player that Terry McLaurin is. John, who are some of the wide receivers you were able to to smash, and some guys that you are like totally into for redraft this year? Well, I did zig a little bit when um, I, I saw the wide receivers were just falling and falling and falling. So I did get out there and get Tyree kill 
pretty pretty late in the third. So I, I was pretty excited about that. And because of that, and, and the fact that the wide receivers were continuing to fall, I did wait a little bit. But um, I, I got to say, I do really like Terry McLaurin. I'm definitely higher on Godwin than most as well. So props to Andrew on some of those picks there. I, I've been pretty high on the the Rams wide receivers uh, with staff coming into town. Super good values, including in the Scott Fishbowl for Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. And I'll throw out Tyler Higby. I, I think with Sean McVay running the offense, knowing he has Stafford in the gun there, I think those are those are some really, really good values that I would I would throw that out there for sure. Those are, those are the ones that stick out the most for me. Um, I thought it was interesting, like all three of the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers all went in the eighth round within a few picks of each other. And it just seems like none of them are really standing out. Also kind of interesting on the Bengals wide receivers. They're all kind of getting grouped together. I mean, Jamar Chase might be going a little earlier, but then you got T Higgins and then Tyler Board will follow. And so it sounds like there's, there's almost like wide receiver committee type stuff forming where, you know, Joe, Joe Burrow or Big Ben might spread it around so much so that no one is going to necessarily stick out and give you that elite ceiling. But what is happening is any one of those guys get the one with the best value, the one that's like falling in the drafts. And I, so I, I noticed that that's happened a few times in Scott Fishbowl as well. Just kind of have to keep a close eye out on the values. We've been debating that quite a while, you know, as far as especially last week, we got a little heated as Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. You know, how do you yeah. break down that situation? You know, because Dave came on strong and said Tyler Boyd is going to be the highest guy, which is 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 out there. You know, we were doing a lot of bold takes and, and Mung's been big time. You know, obviously in Jamar Chase, we've had him very high. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, both that Pittsburgh and that Cincinnati and, and how you see things breaking down. So the way, so it's interesting because I actually tend I took Jamar Chase at seven ten. I was debating nice. between him and Deontay Johnson and T. <laughs> and T. Like, I was yeah, literally yeah. staring at the yeah. at this at this seven eight turn with all mm-hmm. these. And I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, all right. And my goal with it was, I want. Is there any way I can get two of them? Like that would be the ideal situation right because then I'll just start them both. Don't care. Like one will have a down week, the other one will have a good week. It, it won't matter nice. to me. So. Mm-hmm. The way that it worked out, or at least that's it's ongoing still. So it was Chase that I took, and then Higgins went right after him, and then Deontay Johnson went right after him. So then that leaves Claypool and then Tyler Boyd. But the way that at least the ADP is shaped out, it looks like there is a gap between Boyd and a lot of those other players. And I agree with Dave where when he came on, I like Tyler Boyd a lot too. Like I don't think that his role changes that much if he's working in the slot, and I think that his target share is pretty secure. I think it's really mm-hmm. going to be Jamar Chase and T Higgins more or less fighting. And again, it, it could be where they literally just trade off wide receiver one weeks where it's like, all right, mm-hmm. T Higgins goes for a hundred because you know, they're double covering him or vice versa. Like they're just, but whereas yeah. Tyler Boyd is kind of the more consistent producer week in and week out. So my hope now is that I'll just go with Claypool because I think that he just has so much upside. Like basically totally. when you look at what he did last year, he's on the trajectory of, just all studs like the way that he was able to score double digit touchdowns, like the way that he was able to command targets, you know, on the target rate per route run that he was doing, like he just breaks every statistical, like he is a player that if he doesn't hit, it'll be an outlier. Like he, he, he's did everything as a rookie that shows us that this guy is on the upward trajectory where he should become an alpha. Again, he also can't spell 
alpha with or you can't spell chase Clay, chase claypool without the word alpha fun fact you can you can try it right now you, you can't do it I, I i definitely double checked <laughs> um nice. but chase claypool is the guy i'm probably looking at, at 803 and then i'm hoping that maybe boyd will fall to me around the 910 because that's kind of where his adp is listed yeah. on that adp app so hopefully that i can maybe pick up boyd there but I'll be happy with, you know, Chase and Claypool, where they're two guys with alpha profiles. Changes are at least one of them can hit. And that's what I'm looking for. It's funny because we're talking about, John, you talked about the Rams and we're talking about Chase Claypool. And both Mung and you both messaged me the same thing. Yo, do I take Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase here? You know, like we, we had so many situations here where we're talking floor versus ceiling. And we see what, what, what kind of uh, situation there. Mung, who did you end up going with? Uh, I ended up going with neither. <laughs> um, let me see. That's here. what I think of uh, your, your advice, Dad. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks a lot. No, I appreciate it. You know, like I see how the is. opposite of whatever Dad says. I know, right? Well, I did zing him on the Taylor Swift shirt. You know, it's 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 been a long day. Fair. I got to go build my son's like stuff for his birthday tomorrow. You know, so like I'm a little, you know, I just trying to give you the best advice out there, but. You didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that was that was a pick where I really decided to shoot for ceiling in, in such a large format tournament. Um, and, and you know my San Francisco love. So I actually grabbed Trey Sermon here um, because I think there's a chance that he becomes that 1A in that backfield. And maybe I got swayed a little bit by that uh, San Francisco might run 500 times this year news, but... Um, in, in all seriousness, I do think that Sermon has that, you know, top 10 potential if he ends up seizing that job. Andrew, why don't you hit on that a little bit? Because we, we were talking Mostert just kept getting pushed back and back and back. And he just went in the ninth round in ours where, you know, they, they're still saying he's going to be the lead back. But for how long? You know, and once he does, what kind of committee are we looking at? You know, have you dug into San Francisco and what are your ideas there? I think that's the nail on the head. I think that, that that's what you hit right there is look, Mostert's probably going to look like a value when the season starts. He's probably going to start. He's probably going to do well, but then something's going to happen where he's either going to get banged up. Like he's traditionally done. Cause this is what this 49ers offense. Like it's part of the allure of this offensive scheme is yes. The running backs are really, are really productive, but it also puts them in positions to get hurt all the time. Yeah. So it's a you know a double-edged sword where it's, they score so many points, but there's a reason why it's never one guy because one guy simply cannot handle that type of, of workload. And they're seeing the same thing with the New York Jets where they have kind of like a committee guy where Michael Carter can be the guy potentially, but they're going to use Tevin Coleman. Maybe they use Ty Johnson. They're splitting guys at, with the first team reps. But I, I think that, again, if you're playing for upside, like no one, who cares how you do the start of the year, really? You want to start strong, obviously, but... I mean, if I'm making a bet, oh, who's going to be starting running back for the 49ers when they have like, I think they have like a cakewalk playoff schedule. Who's it going to be? I'm going to say Sermon. Like they, they trade up to get him. You know, you don't leave those guys on the bench. Again, Raheem Mostert, he's really good during the beginning of the season. I think that in a regular redraft league, if the value is there and you take him, but you have to know when you draft him, he's not there for the long term. Like he'll help you in the beginning of the year, maybe help you get to the playoffs but he's probably not going to be a difference maker when the playoffs happen. So again, I think that the value is appropriate, you know, in the ninth round, but again, it just goes into the con adding context to your picks and not kind of going in blindly. All right, well, this guy's going to lead my team to the championship. And this guy's like, that may not necessarily be the case. Understand your, and that goes back to roster construction, like understand the players 
and their range of outcomes on your roster so you can draft appropriately to kind of cover holes where you might have them. I love that. One way to win, you know, that late season, those kind of things happen is, is that when your rookies hit, you know, I want all three of you guys to think about some, some rookies here, whether it's the Scott Fishbowl, we're going to talk super flex so you can throw in, you know, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. Who are those guys this year that are literally going to put you over the top when it comes to late time in the season? Um, John, let's start with you first. Like we, we've talked about yeah. some of these, some of these quarterbacks. I know you, you're projecting all of them to start by week five. You know, are right. any of these guys guys that are going to put you over the hump and in Superflex win your title? Well, I, th- I would actually – I think it's really – the QBs and the running backs that stick out for me are the ones that are, are going to take a little while to progress or they may not be playing at all. And so, obviously, in, in leagues where you can trade, you'll you'll likely see some of these guys coming out of the gates. Let's take Mostert. The value starts to sink a little bit. And so make it a move. And, again, look at Jonathan Taylor last year. Perfect example. Starts off really slow versus expectations, and everyone starts to panic. I know, you know, a couple of us here. We talked about that as as a dynamic to go trade for him. We knew what his upside looked like, and then towards the end of the season, he just goes on an absolute tear. And say what you want about strength of schedule, I don't care who he was playing, he was balling out. And so you look at could could we see something like that with the running backs this year? Javante Williams is is another guy that. I'd look for you could trade for him early in the season or draft him and be a little patient. I think that for sure he's going to take over for Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon could break down just like Raheem Mostert. So that's another one that I really like in a, in a redraft league that could really help you come playoff time. Back to the QBs, you know, we know that there's going to be a couple of day one starters. I don't think we're talking about Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, but I'd definitely be targeting in redraft leagues, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones, especially if they aren't starting out of the gates or they have a couple of bad games when they get in there. I, I would trade for those guys because I think they will definitely uh, put, it, put it together at some point, and you know, they're probably going to be hitting on all cylinders later in the season. Worth the upside. When you think about Trey Lance, Justin Fields' upside, it's huge. Mung's even throwing out, you know, top five in points per game on Trey Lance as, as a potential for this season. So that's exciting. I mean, those are those are gambles. It's a little bit of risk reward there. But for where you could get those guys and in the upside, I think it's definitely worth it. And I actually did take a gamble in Scott Fishbowl. I wanted Lance, but I, I did manage to get Justin Fields for that reason. And I, I really do love his upside once he gets going in there. He's he's a Konami code rushing type guy and he's got a got a lot of arm talent as well so you know i think that's those are the kind of shots you have to take in a in a league this size i love it john andrew if you had to put a seal of approval a stamp of this is the guy that i need to get this is the rookie that's going to win you a championship who's that guy for you it seems like it's it's a chalky pick but Najee harris just i, yeah, I mean look it just sure. i think that if you look at the opening schedule that he plays Again, we talk about, you know, strength of schedule matters for running backs. Like, Dave Montgomery balled out. Jonathan Taylor balled out. Derrick Henry balled out at the end of the year because they they played a lot of easy matchups. And they did what good running, good running backs are supposed to do is expose the bad matchups and score a lot of fantasy points. Totally. And Najee Harris plays Bills, Raiders, Bengals, Packers. Basically, it looks like Jonathan Taylor's schedule from last year. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and the, the thing cool. with, with Harris, if you draft him, and he just starts on this tear, 
you could literally trade him for anybody. Like, because True. he'll be, he'll be the rookie and he'll be like, Oh my yeah. God, like he's going to continue to just be unstoppable. And mm-hmm. maybe he is at the same time. It's like, Oh sick. I can get Chris McCaffrey. Like I can get anybody. Like that is, I really think that's going to happen with Najee Harris, where you're going to take him in the second round and he's going to have this four week stretch of just ungodly numbers with touches. And then you are basically, you can't lose at that point. You could just keep him and see how it kind of plays out. You could get more assets, you know, flip him. Like there are so many different avenues, but I just don't see a way that Najee Harris fails in the first month of the year. And then you're playing with house money, however you want to distribute that type of asset. So at the running back position, I think that is, is really important to call it. And then at receiver, I get he's getting a lot of hype and a lot of buzz, but I think that it's, it's warranted because it's Elijah Moore because the guy was a freaking PPR machine at Ole Miss. And I just think that, look, man, Corey Davis, it's a rite of passage for an Ole Miss wide receiver to upheave him on the depth chart. AJ Brown did it. And now we're going to see Elijah Moore do it. So <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry, Corey. And I, I, I love hearing that because I'm in 15 dynasty leagues. I have Najee Harris in 10 of them. It's been a guy that I've been all in because I feel like, you know, the prospects of him panning out are going to be fantastic. Mung, why don't you hit us up with, with one more guy here, one rookie that's going to put you over the top. And I know you're heavily invested in some of them, but maybe another one that we haven't talked about for a while. Yeah, I, you know, I, I really can't pick one. So I'll just be real quick, though. I'm just looking at my underdog exposure right now. I mean, these are guys you can get super late. Amari Rogers, you can talk him into, you know, that Randall Cobb role with Aaron Rodgers. Terrace Marshall, there's really no true number one wide receiver in Carolina. Even Dwayne Eskridge, if Seattle actually, if Pete Carroll actually follows through on his promise to run a more fast-paced offense um, with their new offensive coordinator, you know, that number three wide receiver could be valuable. And then when's the last time that we saw Will Fuller play 16 games, right? Like Jalen Waddell might be stuck in this offense with Fuller, um, and maybe he's more of a gadget guy as a rookie, but you know, there's a narrative here where Fuller gets hurt week 10, week 11, and then Jalen Waddle goes off, you know, the second half of the season. Yeah, so those, those are some receivers I love. That's more than a narrative. We didn't put Will Fuller will uh, stay healthy in our bold takes last week. Right? That, that would have been as bold as a kid. <laughs> Andrew, we had a great time having you on, you know, we appreciate the, the time that you put on. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, what you have, you know, what you have working on here. And again, you guys got to follow this guy. He's got great content. Yeah. So I'm over on pff.com. I'm doing the team preview write up. So I'm going through all 32 rosters. Again, I've, I've done all the player, you know, we, we've finished the player blurbs. So the fantasy draft kit for PFF is coming out sometime next week. So I've dug in all the players and I'm kind of retracing my steps, going back and starting at the team level, make sure I'm not missing anything. Make sure I'm not missing on out on any sleepers or anything. Make sure I'm kind of, checking everything out but yeah i'm on twitter at andrew erickson underscore same thing on instagram same thing on tiktok making all those videos having a lot of fun because at the end of the day that's what fantasy football is about it's about having fun if you're not having fun you're not doing it right so change that yeah no and that's that's a great great advice because that's what we're all about here john why don't you take us home what what do you got going on like recently that is what it's all about And, and i love it and it definitely gives some props to Andrew. Thanks again for coming on. I really like your stuff. I've been checking out it, it out. And your Scott Fishbowl projections, I'm using live. So for those listening in, pull that up. It'll definitely be a nice tool for you. And, you know, for me right now, it's uh, trying to compete. This is for me when the season really starts. So start hitting us up on DMs, on Twitter with your trades, 
with uh, advice on how to set up a league to make to make it more fun, like we talked about tonight. It could be anything. So you can find me at Dynasty underscore Trades. I'm dropping a lot of different threads, uh, especially on ADP, looking at trends that happened during the offseason, trying to help you guys find values, number one, but also some guys to watch out for that, that are have some you know, some flags that we're concerned about. And we're just going to keep mixing it up here on the Smash Pod. So looking forward to that, Mike. Yeah, and it's been great talking redraft. Last year, we didn't get into it a lot and having an amazing analysts on to talk redraft. Next week, we have Jordan McNamara, you know, analytics of Dynasty, does things over at Under the Helmets. We're going to get back into that Dynasty realm. Mung, I know you always got things going on. What's new at Fantrax? Yeah, no, it was awesome talking to Andrew. And uh, you guys won't guess who I spent a half hour looking at today. Um, I was trying to look at players that I haven't heard about in a long time, and one of them was Randall Cobb, and I'm I'm kind of into him as a deep sleeper, so I'm coming out with a deep sleepers article, uh, right. <laughs> you know, for those deep bench leagues, the the real the 16 to 20 team leagues, and you know, uh, just the forgotten guys who might uh, be those diamonds in the rough for your bench. But uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at ffa underscore mung. That's m e n g, and all my stuff's over at Fantrax. I love it. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the process.